Ask any young Generation X or elder millennial, and you'll probably get the exact same response about the prolific nature of social media in today's culture. It's an amazingly wonderful disaster. We've never been more connected and simultaneously disconnected from each other than we are at this exact moment. Rather than dwell upon the difficulty that it creates for modern humanity, I want to talk about the overall benefit of it today. Realistically, that's not even today's topic. It sounds more like a Lewis Black rant, but I'll bring it around eventually. Late last week, I stumbled across this gem of a post from a random whiskey group that I'm, a, I'm an observer in, and it fired off a rabbit hole of reading. That's the real reason I started this podcast. It gives me a reason to dive deep down the rabbit hole on esoteric concepts. And this week, it was all triggered by a post about a German single malt whiskey distiller that had taken some of their distillate, placed it in AO Virgin or X Oloroso 30-gallon barrels, and then buried them underground for three years. This is not their first attempt at such a venture, and from the reaction to what came out of the ground, it certainly won't be the last. You might ask yourself, what would possess a person to bury whiskey underground for three years? And that brings us to the theme of this week's episode. I've seen these offerings that boast unique maturation methods and like any other non-creative person, I catch myself asking the question of why would you do that? And that's probably why I'm not the one in charge of creative processes. Where most of us see a why would you do that, others see a why not. Like any good experiment, you can hypothesize what is going to come out the other end, and sometimes you can do it with a great deal of accuracy. But ultimately, you don't know until you complete the ex experiment. If someone were to ask me beforehand what, if any effect terrestrial aging would have on whiskey, I'd probably guess that it would significantly slow down the aging process. Temperature conditions are more stable, and the humidity pressure should stay relatively stable as well. Things that I wouldn't initially suspect would be discovered at the end of this experiment. The lack of temperature exchange and the inherent humidity of the soil leads to no loss of volume. It actually resulted in an increase in volume, but we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Which means there's no oxidization that occurs in the whiskey. And there's a lot of conjecture out in the whiskey world as to what effect, if any, oxidization has on bottled whiskey, but it's 100% certain that the oxidization process in the barrel is pretty essential to the creation of flavors that we are used to. The second unexpected thing about underground aging is that it actually increases the volume in the barrel. Bourbon nuts know that some lower levels of rickhouses will lead to a slight increase in volume because the lower temperatures allow for the humidity in the air to pass through and into the barrel. But underground, you get the potential impact of actual groundwater coming into contact with the barrel. The groundwater can and will flow into the barrel and create an inverse version of an angel's share. They use the term devil's share in the post. And So today, we talk about brands and bottles that are a result of what many deem to be gimmicky aging techniques. Bourbon godfathers will often say that there's no replacement for time and weather. And largely, they are right. These aging techniques in today's episode aren't meant to replace time. They are meant to be an experiment to see what happens if you do something different. It doesn't make anything better. It just makes it different. And without folks coloring outside the lines, we wouldn't have a single barrel offering or barrel finish bourbons. We wouldn't be reaping the benefits of mechanization of bottling operations and a whole host of other options that have been made available to the modern distiller. Welcome to the Embellished Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truth, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if truthiness even matters. 
given the context of the episode and today's marketplace, where could we start if we weren't going to be starting with Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea? Jefferson's Aged at Sea bourbon has been around for quite some time. My initial reaction to the product like this was similar to many other bourbon snobs. It's just some catchy marketing and a gimmick to try and cheat time. I didn't really give it much thought beyond that. And that's really a shame. I didn't do a good enough job educating myself as a consumer. While the concept itself might sound like a gimmick, there's so much more to this offering than face value. So the question is, what happens if we put a barrel of bourbon on a ship in the ocean and let the waves constantly rock it? And the hypothesis is that it would create a constant agitation leading to more wood-to-liquid interaction. Beyond that, it would likely be in a more volatile climate. Heat may accelerate some of the aging properties. And this sounds interesting enough, but then you get to pitch the idea that this is likely what a barrel of whiskey would go through in the 1700s. Whiskey was made in Kentucky regularly. It was tossed in a barrel and put on a flat barge and shipped down to Louisiana to be sold. Once it was there, if it needed to go to the East Coast, it would be put on a ship and that would make a trip around the southern tip of Florida, up the East Coast, and ultimately arriving at whatever destination it was headed to. The time, the heat, the rocking, all of that would impart some sort of flavor to the whiskey that otherwise might not have been there. And it sounds like a great story, right? Is it just a story? Ten years ago, I would have said yes, it's just a story. But today, I'd be eating my words. We've all learned a really important lesson about climate and its impact on whiskey. As places like Texas, Nevada, and Colorado all enter into the American whiskey marketplace, we are finding that the exact same distillate aged in each of those locations will turn out wildly different. Take, for example, the products from Smoke Wagon. They're a prime example of that. They are buying MGP whiskey in barrels, shipping it to the deserts of Nevada, and aging it to create some unique flavor profiles from mass-produced alcohol. So we can give them that the heat in the boat will do something something to the whiskey because it's been proven elsewhere. Does it do anything else? Well, it seems like it does. One of the things that Scotch boasts is a degree of salinity within its flavor profile that is directly a result of aging whiskey within a stone's throw of the ocean. And with Jefferson's Ocean, how much closer can you get without actually lowering the whiskey to the bottom of the ocean than sticking it on a boat and seeing what happens. We can pretend to ignore the impact that movement might actually have on the whiskey all we want, but we are certainly required to acknowledge that climate and sea breeze will certainly have some sort of an impact on the whiskey itself. Is it a good effect? I'd say if they launched an idea in 2008 and they are still running strong, then it's highly likely that it does work. Everything we've covered so far, however, could still be pushed off as marketing trash. But this next bit, but this next bit is nothing but pure goodwill. It would be incredibly cheap to stick these aging barrels onto a regular freight liner heading somewhere and then let them make their voyage across the high seas, fulfilling the marketing information so they could sell it. But that's not exactly what's happening. Jefferson's has partnered with Osearch, a nonprofit that studies and tracks keystone marine species and they put some of their barrels on our search's vessels and that's not enough these barrels then go off to auction in a special sale raising as much as two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to help with the nonprofit's research not only have they crafted a new concept in bourbon aging they've enabled a nonprofit research across the oceans to help us better understand the ecosystem that we all rely on to continue aging our whiskeys earlier while we were talking about the 1700s process of moving barrels of whiskey 
whiskey around the United States, we touched on something of interest for the next offering that I want to cover. After a whiskey was distilled and barreled up, the only way to get large quantities of a product to a major center for sales was using a river. Part of the selection of distillation locations was often the proximity to a major waterway for the transportation and enabling of commerce. As commerce modernized, river transportation involved the utilization of barges for hauling massive quantities of products from one place to another. Whether it be coal, whiskey, or even rocket parts, the waterways are a wonderful method of moving bulk quantities through the southeastern portion of the U.S. without impeding the travel of impatient American motorists. That brings us to the second offering for today, Ingram River Aged Whiskey. This is an upstart brand, but the name isn't new if you've lived in the western portion of Kentucky for very long. Ingram Barge Company has been a staple of employment and commerce in this region for years. They've been responsible for so much industry in the area, it's not uncommon that you'll at least know three or four people who have done at least one stint on an Ingram barge. It seems incredibly possible that the founders of Ingram River Aged Whiskey were simply taking a page out of the Jefferson and Oceans cask playbook, but if they did, well, they've certainly put their own twist on it. Just below where the Mississippi and Ohio rivers meet, Ingram has identified a perfect spot to permanently lodge one of their river barges and convert it into a rickhouse of sorts to begin the experiment of aging whiskey on the river. At the bare minimum, the construction of a river barge, which is a giant metal box, would produce some degree of normal aging in the state of Kentucky, considering there's not a huge difference between that and a traditional metal rickhouse. But there's a few unique aspects that will be the determining factor in whether it's different enough to be more than just a gimmick. Given its construction, we can expect that the reaction to heat will be very similar to any rickhouse across this great commonwealth, but it's how it reacts when there's no heat that may be the differentiator. Given that a barge is sitting in water 100% of the time, once the sun starts to go down, the water will begin to act like a big heat sink, where a traditional rickhouse may maintain a non-trivial amount of heat throughout the night. Sitting on the river is an opportunity for some old-school air conditioning. If you ever read about settlers or folks who lived before electricity, they'll have tons of stories about how nice the spring house was during the summer because of its constant flow of cool water. And that's what's happening every hour the sun is down on the barge rickhouse. That could be enough, but if you add in the fact that there's bound to be a high degree of humidity within these barge containers, we are back to the idea of a decreased evaporation rate decreased evaporation rate, resulting in a completely different flavor profile. The motion on a riverboat is significantly less than that of an ocean liner, but significantly more than that of a traditional rickhouse. As a complete aside, I'd love to take the exact same distillate, stick it in a traditional rickhouse, on a river barge, and then on an ocean liner to see what the real difference is. We can know that there will be a difference, but comparison would be flawed at best and results be completely anecdotal until someone forces the experiment to happen. So if you happen to be a listener that know somebody, tell them to make this happen. For the last brand for today's episode, we are moving away from what might be considered natural aging enhancement methodology into something a little more modern. While the rest of the brands have focused on harnessing parts of mother nature to change and modify the inherent nature of the aging process, this last brand has sought out to harness something that Mother Nature created, but we just made better. If you've never heard the name Dave Pickerel, then you're probably new here. I'll give you a few minutes to go hit the Google machine because I could devote an entire episode to just him, and I probably will at some point, but today is not that day. We'll leave it at this. 
his impact on the whiskey industry was exponentially larger than his short time spent working in it. Just a few years ago, Pickerel was working with what many considered to be one of the biggest rock and roll bands to create a new American whiskey product. The brainchild of these titans of their own respective industries was named simply Blacken. Blackened whiskey adds to its aging process the introduction of low-frequency sound blasted at aging barrels. Most promotional materials indicate that each 5,000 bottle run has a completely different playlist. Sounds like a lot of bunk, doesn't it? Yeah, sure it does. Is it? Well, I'm not so sure about that part. How could blasting sound waves at the whiskey make any kind of difference? Well, I'll talk about another brand to come back to this brand and the concept that it holds. Fifteen years ago, I found myself regularly running audio for small groups of musicians, usually incorporating some varied sets of instruments, but almost always there was an acoustic guitar present. I've heard about every major brand played both through their onboard electronics and then their au naturel state, acoustically. After a while of listening to music, you begin to recognize the low, mid, and top-end guitars. I found myself listening to a guy playing Alvarez on stage and being thoroughly confused. The sound coming out certainly didn't match the template of the brand, at least not in my head. Beyond that, there was some unique badging on the guitar itself. When the guy finished his set, I asked him about his guitar, and he simply told me that it was an Alvarez Yayari, and it was one of the best-sounding guitars he had ever played with. Much like today, I found myself digging around on the internet late that night to find out what made a Yayari guitar different, and that's when I discovered something quite unique. Yayari is the surname of a series of Japanese luthiers. They are well known amongst the guitar industry for making top quality acoustic guitars by hand. They have large stocks of older growth wood, which makes for a much richer sound. None of that really applies here, but a step I discovered in their guitar crafting process is when they are done with all of the production stages, they regularly place those guitars in a room where they will play different sounds into the room for up to 30 days. If you know much about the quality of a guitar, they usually get richer in sound over time. As the wood ages and interacts with the sound waves, it becomes something almost ethereal, something otherworldly. They take this step to replicate a year or more's worth of playing time to give that wood an age to it. So as we snap back to the discussion around how could this ever have any real impact? Well, it can absolutely have a direct impact on the wood of the barrel. It can change the ability of the wood to interact with the liquid. Not to mention the fact that if you've ever been that if you've ever been front row of any concert, you've likely felt the impact of sound waves on your own bladder. And if that isn't enough for you to think about, if you've ever seen the movie Jurassic Park, there's this great scene where water begins to ripple because of the approaching steps of the ultimate apex predator, the T-Rex. What isn't necessarily told to you is to get that effect on the water, they place a cup on the top of a guitar soundboard and plucked a string. Those ripples were the direct result of a simple string pluck. Now imagine the impact on that liquid if you were to submit to constant bass rumble of any given Metallica song for an extended period of time. Agitation doesn't even begin to cover what's happening to this whiskey. It seems all too commonplace for bourbon fans to fall into a traditional stance of on just about anything. When a new technology brand, story, or idea comes out, we are filled with reasons why it's not a good idea. We don't immediately begin to think about how this thing might improve the overall whiskey marketplace in our current atmosphere. Maybe it's because we are trained to be skeptical of almost anything new. Maybe it's because we are tired of trying to absorb new information and just want to sit back and enjoy a glass. Or maybe it's just because we want this one thing to stay the same. We want it to be a reference point that we can always return to and get a predictable result. And largely whiskey will always be that. 
But I challenge all of us as consumers to really think about whether a brand would invest significant resources to try something new if they legitimately thought it could be worse. I'm sure there are thousands of experiments every year in creating whiskey that ultimately end up being poured on the floor as a cleaner. So the ones that make it to the marketplace, at bare minimum, are likely consumable. It's up to us to decipher if we like it or not. It's up to us to explore the ways that it might actually work. It's up to us to decipher if we like it or not. It's up to us to explore the ways that it might actually work, rather than starting from the negative and trying to walk uphill proving that it actually does work. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable.